You know, if you can lose weight by shedding tears, moved in worship, I've lost about five pounds today. <laughs> just so sweet to hear you sing and to sing from your hearts. We're just delighted to plug into that and to just know authentic worship and joy in the Savior. If you're inclined to kneel with me in prayer to show our dependence and respect for God, I invite you. Father, all of life, of course, is holy because we are set apart for your possession and use. You make our marriages holy. You make our businesses holy. You make our studies at school holy. You make life holy. And we desire, Lord, to frequently let your Holy Spirit flood his searchlight into the recesses of our minds and hearts and lives, that we would be careful to walk in the Spirit's control, that the fruit of the Spirit would be produced on the branches of our lives, that we could bear that precious fruit to a very thirsty and hungry world that needs the nourishment and the refreshment of the fruit of the Spirit. As we come to your word tonight under the topic of what I want to promise to this precious church family, as I have the privilege of being their new pastor, I pray that the Spirit of God would speak the truth again into my life, but also because there is a priesthood of believers and that every believer is a minister, that the promises that I seek to make before you, Lord, to this family would also be promises that the brethren, the born again here in this church family, would voluntarily make to you as well. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I promise you as your new pastor, I have four parts <laughs> to this sermon. Because there are 32 things that I want to promise you. And I don't want to be like the preacher who had a 32-point sermon one Sunday and there was a lot of feedback. So the next Sunday, he said, well, since we had 32 points last Sunday, that this new sermon will be pointless. <laughs> We're going to cover eight, eight promises that the Lord is leading me to publicly make before him, first and foremost, but also before you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to move around in our Bibles tonight. So um, if you are comfortable doing that? Great. If you need the table of contents in the fronts of your Bibles, that'll help you find some things. Let's go to Psalm 78. The first promise that I want to make to you is that I will shepherd you without duplicity. Another way of saying that is I will shepherd you being the same man in the pulpit as I am around my kitchen table. I will shepherd you without duplicity, without hypocrisy to the glory of God. In Psalm 78, verse 72, it's a very long psalm. Verse 72 of Psalm 78, the first part of that verse, Psalm 78, verse 72, part A. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. 
Of course, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He is our ultimate shepherd, but men like me who have answered his call to pastoral ministry, been ordained, have the responsibility of being under shepherds to the good shepherd's care for you and me. We are to come under the good shepherd's care and to care for you. And I'm promising you this evening, by the grace of God, that I will seek to shepherd you without duplicity, without hypocrisy. I think if the Bahamas is like the other places I have lived and pastored Canada and America, that one of the biggest objections to those who have left the church, who were once in it, or to those who never wanted to be a part of a church, is that Christians are hypocrites. You ever heard that? And you know, that's, that's a stinging indictment if it's true. So we want to live for Christ, live in Christ, live by the power of the Holy Spirit consistently. Amen? We want to be the same whether we're watched by thousands or whether we're watched by one or whether we're watched by the Lord only. So I want to shepherd you without duplicity, no double life, without any hypocrisy. I want you to look into my life whenever you want and to see that it's not a charade, it's not a performance, that it's real. Number two, still in this verse, this is Psalm 78, verse 72, part B, I will guide you with biblical principles, well interpreted and well applied. Psalm 78, 72b, I'll read the whole verse. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. The idea of skillfulness in the Hebrew mind, the mind that would have first read Psalm 78, skillfulness involved um, wisdom. Knowing God's word, the Torah for the Jew, Knowing what it said, knowing what it meant, and knowing how it fit life was how you were to be guided as an Old Testament Jew by the skillful hands of the leadership that God gave you in that covenant, in that dispensation. So my promise to you tonight is that I will seek to guide you with biblical principles. Frankly, I have nothing worthwhile to give to you except the Bible. And so I want to guide you with biblical principles. And I want these principles to be well interpreted. I want us to learn together, and I think Pastor Lee has probably done an excellent job already teaching so many of you, that Bible interpretation is not a feeling. It's not a subjective thing. It is objective. There are rules, there are guidelines to apply to understanding and interpreting the Bible that are consistent so that we ought to get the same meaning out of verses as we study with a careful, they call it a hermeneutic, uh, uh, the study of Bible interpretation. So I want to take you to the Word each week so that we see what it says, then we look at what it means in context, using the original languages as we can, consistent with the other passages of scripture that speak to that topic and so forth. And so I want to guide you with biblical principles. When you come to see me, and I hope that you will, with your happy situations and with your tearful situations, I hope that you'll feel you can come to me 
we can sit down together with the Bible between us, then I will care for you and I will listen. I'll pray with you. But we'll always come to God's word together. We'll see what God has to say about your situation. And we'll seek to bring his word to bear on what you're facing. We'll seek to do it in a way that's accurate to what the Bible says and proper as to what it means. And then we'll seek together to see how does that truth fit your life? How is that lived out in your marriage or in your parenting or in your finances or in your employment or whatever? So my first promise to you before God is I will shepherd you without duplicity. I do not ever want to be a hypocrite. Second, I will guide you with biblical principles that are well-interpreted and well-applied. Number three, go to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. First and 2 Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles because they were written to young pastors. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 6, Paul says, two weeks perhaps before he was beheaded for the cause of Christ, the last letter that the Spirit of God had Paul write, 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 6, using several metaphors for young Pastor Timothy to aspire to understand and to live out, he says in chapter 2, verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. I promise God and you that I will work hard. I will not coast. I will seek to work hard. You know, someone has said, and it's true, that pastoral ministry lends itself either to great exertion or to great laziness. Because so much of the time, pastors are self-supervised, humanly speaking. So by God's grace and for God's glory, I promise you that I will seek to work hard. I will rest when I rest, I will play when I play, but when I work, I will work. Number four, I will be globally minded. The Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, was sent as a missionary to planet Earth, right? The Father, one Son, and he made him a missionary. He had him step across the galaxies, the planets that he himself had made to go from heaven's splendor to earth's squalor. Homeless, rejected of men, despised. Jesus willingly came because the world was on his heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. And so I want to be a pastor for you that is globally minded. I do not want to have tunnel vision for the Bahamas only or for the Western Hemisphere only. But I want to lead you and encourage you to be global believers. We have to take Jesus' last words to give them first importance. He said in the Great Commission, Go and make disciples of all nations, and you may know the rest. Go and make disciples of all nations. Every other church God has let me pastor, I've set this challenge before the church, and I'll set it before Calvary Bible Church tonight. What would happen if we presented a people tithe to cross-cultural world mission endeavor from our 
church. At least 10% of the people who are this church family taking the gospel across cultural barriers as missionaries. Could we try and pray for that? A, a, a people tithe to cross-cultural world mission. That's exciting to me. And when God raises up these people, and I know that he has before I'm speaking about it tonight, from within this congregation, I know that you have done that. Bless the Lord. We need to pray for these people, and we need to give finances to send them to the field, right? They're our own. We're their home church. So join me in praying that the Lord will raise up a people tithe to cross-cultural world mission endeavor from amongst us. Maybe there's a child here tonight that God's already tapping on the shoulder and saying, that could be you. I think that is what Jesus is telling me to do when I'm 12 or I'm 10. We'd love to come alongside you, young person, and nurture you and encourage you. Fifth, I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. And so, like I said this morning, um, I am not going to merely be satisfied as being a public evangelist from this pulpit, although I will be. I promise God in you that I will personally evangelize regularly that I will go to where lost people are, and without compromising my testimony, I will build bridges to where they are at to tell them about Christ. I like water sports. I like gardening. I like history. I like several things. And I will seek to find lost people who like those same things, and then I will walk across the bridge of our common interests to spend time with them, to gain a hearing for the gospel. I promise you that. I've spoken to the pastors before being called here, and I said that if I'm called, I would like to have time and freedom to make relationships with lost people to see them one to Christ. They said, yes. We all should do that. We can do that. So I personally and publicly will evangelize without embarrassment. Let's go to stay in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore, Paul writes to young Timothy, the pastor, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Yes, I will not be embarrassed to privately and publicly share the gospel, and I will not fear rejection. I'm of an age now that I've been rejected plenty. I'm used to it. I will not fear rejection. If you sense I'm fearing rejection, then call me on it. I think you're looking a fearful there, Pastor. I will not fear rejection. I don't want to. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Still on this point that I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment or without fearing rejection. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Paul to young Timothy, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Implication being, if young Pastor Timothy didn't evangelize, he wasn't fulfilling the ministry God had called him to. And if I don't personally evangelize, I am not fulfilling the calling of God on my life to be a pastor. It's that simple. Sixth promise. I will preach 
and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. Still in 2 Timothy, back to chapter 1, please, verse 13. Paul says to this young, nervous Pastor Timothy who had stomach problems, maybe an ulcer, we don't know exactly, but he was nervous. And Paul said to him, chapter 1, verse 13, retain the standard of sound words. Obviously, he must have been given the standard of sound words. He must have been imparted with sound doctrine by the Apostle Paul. He was mentored by the Apostle Paul. He knew the truth. And Paul says to him, nervous Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. Hold on to it, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. I purpose and promise to preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. First Timothy, on the same point, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. I'll read the whole verse, but I'll focus on the first part in a minute. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have neglected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Paul was saying to this young pastor, Timothy, hang on to the faith, be true to sound doctrine, have a good conscience with respect to being sound in your doctrine, that you didn't water it down, that you didn't compromise it, that you weren't a man pleaser, that you stuck to the truth. Because there are some guys, young pastor Timothy, who did not do that and they are shipwrecked. They hit the reef. Their boat sunk. Keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are then named in verse 20. I will preach and I will teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. Still on that point, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, you may remember that the Apostle Paul was instrumental in starting the church in Ephesus. He loved the Ephesian believers. He helped them to become a church. He helped them to grow in grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior. And he was on his way through Ephesus, on his way, and he knew in his heart he would not see those beloved elders of the church of Ephesus that he had poured his apostolic heart and life into, again, this side of heaven. Ever met someone poured into their life, and you knew, all things being equal, you would not see them, shake their hands, hug them, have a meal with them ever again until heaven. That happened to us in Pennsylvania time after time after time the last months. Paul understood exactly what was going on, and so did the elders of Ephesus. And we read at Acts 20, verse 18, this. The elders had come to him, verse 18, on the beach. And he, Paul, said to them, the elders, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. He had a presence, a ministry of presence with those elders. They spent time together. They did life together. 
He said, you know that from the day I first set forth in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you know that from the time my foot set forth in Asia, how I had a presence and a ministry of presence with you Ephesian elders and how we did life together through trials and tears and the plots of the Jews. You know that. And you know also, I didn't shrink back. I didn't take an opinion poll in the church as to what I would teach you or them. And everything that was profitable, that was true, doctrine, I taught you. They would be sitting there with tears in their eyes on the beach and say, yeah, we know that's true. Then skip down to verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole purpose of God, the whole purpose of God. My heart, wherever I pastor, is to preach the whole counsel of God. It's kind of curious to my wife and to me that because of the nature of the Sundays as they unfold here in the first weeks of our ministry with you, that I'll be preaching a lot of topical sermons. And that's fine. The Lord's leading me to do that. But that's not really typical of how I approach preaching. The way I approach preaching is verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I work through books of the Bible, verse by verse, until they're finished. If I stop at chapter 1, verse 10, the next Sunday I pick up chapter 1, verse 11. Because I want to teach you that you can understand the inspired flow of reasoning as you read your Bibles. I want you to come out of a sermon time thinking, I see where he saw that. I understand what he saw in the text, how he told us what it means. I understand and how it fits life. That's the greatest compliment you could give me at the back door is, Pastor, I saw where you got that, and I know I could do the same in my Bible study. The worst thing you can say to me, I never could have gotten that, Pastor. That's that's not a compliment to me. And so he said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel and purpose of God. By the way, the other reason I I preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, is that I don't get to have any hobby horses. And I don't get to dodge any tough topics. If I'm going through the book of Romans and I get to chapter 1 and it's talking about homosexuality, I don't dodge it because that's the next verse. Right? God raises the topics as we go through his word chronologically, uh, systematically, uh, logically in books of the Bible. All right. So I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. I preach sound doctrine because it's my obligation to the one who called me to the ministry. Number seven, second last promise for tonight. I will carefully monitor my own life 
and my own beliefs. That is not to say that I won't let other men into my life to monitor my life and my beliefs. I will do that with the pastors of this church. I welcome that. But I'm telling you before I get to that promise, that's a little later in my list of 32 promises, that I am going to seek to govern my own life and my own beliefs carefully. What does that look like? It looks like that when I'm journaling, I ask God some questions, open-ended questions. God has never spoken to me audibly. I don't expect that he will because he's spoken to me comprehensively in his word. But he does lay impressions on my heart. And so when I ask him, what's the next step in my development as a Christian? And then I wait. The first thought that comes to my mind and is on my heart, I write down, to memorize scripture more or whatever that is for that day. And I just write it down. What is the next step in my marriage? And I wait on the Lord. Find out what Beth's top three needs are today. What is the next step in my family life? Be available and not selfish with my time with my kids. What's the next step in your ministry through me as pastor of Calvary Bible Church? Seek out the lonely and the forgotten, etc. I will seek to carefully let the Holy Spirit monitor my own life and my own beliefs. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Again, the near-to-be-executed Apostle Paul writing inspiration uh, scripture to young, nervous Pastor Timothy. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both of yourself and those who hear you. Basically, this verse, this exhortation from Paul to Timothy is allowing for a very true thing, that if we don't pay close attention to ourselves and to what we teach others, and we don't persevere in that examination, we can cause great damage to our own souls and great damage to the souls that look to us for leadership. And you may be saying, I'm not sure I'm a teacher. Well, let me just say this. If anybody's learning from you, you're a teacher. And the corollary is also true. If nobody's learning from you, you're a teacher, even if they put teacher over your door. Teachers teach and people learn. And so if you're a grandfather, you're a teacher. If you're a grandmother, you're a teacher. If you are a single, never married Sunday school teacher, you are a teacher. If you are a senior citizen living in an assisted living home situation, you are teaching the other residents. If you are teaching anyone anything, you are a teacher. And teachers, preachers, are told to pay close attention to themselves and to their teaching. And they're to persevere in these things, not quit. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. The salvation that's in in this verse is not salvific salvation from sin. It's salvation in the sense of deliverance, deliverance from Flesh patterns, deliverance from problems, deliverance from habits, etc. So I will promise you before God, by his strength and for his glory, that I will seek to carefully monitor my own life and my own beliefs. 
I told you about journaling and what's the next step in these various things, Lord. Another thing in my journaling time is I say, Lord, search my heart for unconfessed sin. And then I wait. I wait before God. And if I have unconfessed sin in my heart when I ask God, the Holy Spirit to tell me, he will impress it upon my heart like that. But if I do not have unconfessed sin, when I ask him to flood the search light of his light into the recesses of my heart for sin that's unconfessed, and there's no response, I take no news as good news. And I go forward. Sometimes the sin that's pointed out to me by the Holy Spirit involves other people. All sin involves is against God. And so I confess unconfessed sin to God because all sin is an offense to him. But if that sin was also an offense to a brother or sister in Christ, then I have to get with that brother or sister in Christ and ask for their forgiveness. That's happened time and time and time and time again in my ministry over 30 years. I will carefully monitor my own life and my own beliefs. And the last promise that I would like to share with you tonight is I will work to multiply myself. Not because I'm special, but because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And there's a whole train of godly pastors that you can't see standing right there between that wall and me. You can't see them because some of them are in heaven. You can't see them because some of them are in Canada. You can't see them because some of them are in America. But there's a whole line of pastors that poured into my life what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father. And I owe it to the other pastors of our church if I can help them to do it, to keep the chain going. I value that. That is not to imply there won't be influence from these pastors at CBC. I mean, there will be. I cherish that. I long and expect that. But there's a sense in which in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul says the following. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's looking to a young, nervous Pastor Timothy who has a bit of a retiring personality and temperament. He's not going to rush into a confrontation. He's not bombastic like the Apostle Peter. He's not aggressive and an intellectual genius like the Apostle Paul. He's an average younger man who happens to be in the role of a pastor, who is prone to nervousness and all that that can do to his body, a little reticent to step forward and certainly not seeking a conflict, maybe avoidance, avoids conflict, and he says, do you know what? Here's how it works, young Timothy. You have a torch that I've passed off to you, and I'm soon going to be martyred for Christ. I give you the torch, young Pastor Timothy, not for you to hold it and to monopolize it and to just not lose it, but for you to take the torch of authority in the word, sound doctrine, character, and to take that torch and then to have the joy and the responsibility of passing that torch to the next generation. 
who in turn will pass it to the next generation. And so really, whether you're up here preaching or you're in the pew listening, there's a string of people behind you in your history to tonight that have passed the faith up to you. Grandmother, a grandfather, an uncle, an aunt, a friend, an employer, a cousin, an uncle, pastor, Sunday school teacher, Iwana leader. And the promise I seek to make is that I will work hard to multiply myself in the sense of the doctrine that's been given to me by others, the example of pastoring for the glory of God that I have received and observed from others. It thrills me that there is a DNA to this church. There is a way you do ministry to this church that you raise up faithful men from within your ranks and you teach them theology and you teach them Bible and then you examine them for if they're sound in the faith. You teach them skills about being a pastor and caring for people and then you ordain them. That is fantastic. And I want to jump onto that bus and I just want to take a ride with the good thing that's already happening. These are the first eight promises. I will shepherd you without hypocrisy. I will guide you with biblical principles. I will work hard. I will be globally minded. I will personally and publicly evangelize without embarrassment or fear of rejection. I will preach and teach correct doctrine, whether it's popular or not. I will carefully monitor my own life and my own beliefs, and I will work to multiply myself. I need you to pray for me. I don't know how you'll be reminded, whether it's on your refrigerator or on a little card on the mirror men where you shave or something in your pocketbook, ladies. I need you to pray for me because what God wants me to commit to, to him and to you is supernatural. I just can't gut it out in my own strength and stamina and do this. But he who indwells me and who has called me can empower me and will empower me as I yield to him and as you pray for me. There was a pastor, you may have heard of him, a well-known pastor in downtown Toronto, Dr. Gerald Griffiths. Dr. Griffiths had a, quite a, a good ministry both in Calvary Church, the name of the church in downtown Toronto, but also beyond the walls through writing and through radio broadcasting, and so forth. Actually, his wife, Mrs. G, produced all those Bible stories for children. I don't know if it got to the Caribbean or not, but Mrs. G had a worldwide distribution of cassette tape stories for children. He said, someone said to him in a setting, you're a great pastor, Dr. Griffiths. He said, great churches make great pastors. Because great churches pray for their pastors. I thank you in advance for praying for me. I thank you also in advance for praying for me and Beth and our children with respect to God's leading leading up to coming. Thank you so much. Please keep it up, and we will pray for you. And as you let our, your needs be known to me, I will seek to diligently take them to the Father in prayer. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that there are high callings on our lives, whether we are a pastor or whether we are a a teacher or a musician or um, anything else, any other vocation, any other profession. We thank you that with your calling comes your enabling. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful in praying for each other, that we would live out the high expectations you have for us, that you would be seen to be as great as you truly are. Lord, help us. Be strong in you and in the power of your might. Help us to be humble even as our precious Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to know your calling on our lives and make these kind of promises to you, not for show, not for show, but that we would be different, holy, genuine, and useful tools in the Master's nail-scarred hands. We pray this to his glory alone. In God's family said, Amen.